So on this edition of The Right Start, my guest is Joel Keller, a full-time freelance writer whose work has appeared in Forbes, The Hollywood Reporter, Vice, Fast Company, Variety, Billboard, Rotten Tomatoes, Rolling Stone, The Decider. And he actually, that's where he writes a column called Stream It or Skip It, which I love. And he's interviewed showrunners and celebrities such as Al Pacino, Weird Al Yankovic. He's been on both sides of the desk as an editor-in-chief. And I, I can't wait to dive in and learn more about his career. So, Joel, welcome to the show. Hi, Lisa. Thanks for having me on. Thank you so much for being on. And, I'm, you know, you didn't know I was going to do this, but before we actually get into your career, I want to talk to you about something silly. So you ready? Okay. okay. I'm up for silly. Good. I want to talk about Holy Moly. <laughs> okay. That's very silly, that show. It is. I saw your article on it and your interview uh, with Rob Riggle and Joe Tessitore, and it's one of those shows where you can't help but love it, but then you wonder why you're loving it. Yeah, it's it's one it's 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 a show that I, I will admit I, I don't watch every episode. It's one of those like kind of in that old fashioned where if you come across it while you're kind of trying to figure out what else to watch, you stop <laughs> and you just and, and especially if you've watched episodes before, you stop and you're just fascinated and you can't you can't turn it off. Doesn't it also make you wonder like what else they could make television out of if you could actually turn miniature golf into a show? And turn miniature golf into one of the better shows. You know, it's that's that's the whole thing. Listen, they've tried everything, so what I, I could see ping pong or duck, what, what's what's that uh, paddle? What's that paddle ball called? Like uh, pickleball? Pickleball is a show. Dodgeball you know, is a show now. Well, Dodgeball was a movie, so they made a movie out of Dodgeball, so... But they also made and a show out of it, like Thunderdome or something? You something know. like that. They also... There was a show earlier this year called Ultimate Tag, yep. if you recall. Every- so they made a show out of Tag, out of a kid's <laughs> game that you probably haven't played since you were 12. Five. Yeah, right? 12. <laughs> exactly. And so, listen, and, and if they can... And if, the, and if TV can create a massive hit show out of celebrities who can't sing, singing in elaborate costumes and having uh, Ken Jeong and, and Jenny McCarthy mm-hmm. wildly guess who they are, and it becomes a huge hit, right? Anything's yep. possible. Yeah, you know, the other half of me wants to be a screenwriter and write for television. It was something I wanted to do my whole life. And now that I see some of the stuff that's on TV, I'm like, why didn't I go down this route? Because if this stuff can make it on television, my stuff can't be that bad, can it? (laughs) Well, exactly, exactly. Especially with all the places that you can sell your show now. Mm -hmm. All the streaming networks, all of the cable networks, YouTube, you know, all that kind of stuff. You can come up, I mean... Everybody jokes about Quibi, but they have a show about a woman who becomes friends with her husband's or boyfriend's real doll, real sex doll. And and a Kendrick stars in it. I have been, you know, I I saw that. I haven't watched it. I literally had my mouth hanging because I was like, are you kidding? And then I was like, I wanted to say to... Anna Kendrick, are you kidding? (laughs) But you have to tell me, is that a good show? I have no idea. I've never seen it. Oh, good. I'm glad you haven't watched it either. (laughs) But Anna Kendrick says yes because Quibi has a lot of money. Had a lot of money. Yeah, that's true. Money talks. Money definitely yeah. talks. So, okay, so we we've had a little fun talking about some of the some of the weird stuff that's on television right now. But 
people might think because we're talking like this and and you've written all of these articles where you're like you know should you screen it or should you skip it is your life just sitting around watching television all day let's start there uh, I wish it was. <laughs> I mean, you know, my routine tends to be lately. Well, pre-pandemic, you know, when my when my daughter would go off to school and my wife would go off to work, you know, I'd have the TV on while I was writing. Sometimes I'd watch a show I have to review. Uh, I'm kind of lucky in that I don't have to, I only have to watch, the way the stream interscape column works is I just watch the first episode. I don't have to watch the entire season or however many episodes the network sends out as screeners. Unlike other critics who, God bless them, I don't know if I could watch a whole 10-episode season of some show to review it. I watched the first episode. It's one of the reasons why I can do so many of these. And uh, it's kind of like how other people would say it. Like, you watch the first episode, and you're like, oh, do I want to keep watching or do I not want to keep watching? So my, my routine used to be, okay, I'd put the TV on. I would just have things like daytime TV, MLB Network, that kind of stuff while I was working. And then at night... I'd watch the TV I have to watch. But now with everybody home, it's a pretty rigid routine. I mean, you know, my, my daughter does Zoom school, so we would do Zoom school, and then I would try to do some work. Uh, and then that night, I would watch the shows I need to review the next day. So it's that's the kind of routine we've gotten in over the last six, seven months since the pandemic started. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, what? I'm that's when I'm watching TV mostly is at, at night, unless it's the TV that my daughter's watching. You know, which Daniel Tiger, that kind of stuff. So. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, so let's backtrack then and talk a little bit about how you got to this point. So has right. entertainment writing, was it always something you wanted to do? And how did you get from there to here? You know, I've always wanted, I had always wanted to do some sort of writing, whether it was fiction or essays or something like that. You know, I, I could trace back my desire to write all the way back to being in middle school and writing mysteries on, on uh, you know, on our Commodore 128 and printing it out on our, my brother, and my brother did the same thing, he was actually, he's actually a better writer than I am, you know, I, and I would write things, and I would write for the school newspaper in high school, and I wrote a little bit for the school newspaper in college, and I would, you know, when I first started, uh, I was a computer engineer, I uh, went to Stevens Institute of Technology, so when, I, I would, even as I was doing my first bit of IT work, uh, I would still want to write here and there. But around, I'd say, the early 2000s, 2002 or three, I started getting a real itch to write more. And I didn't necessarily start off wanting to be uh, an entertainment writer, but I did admire TV critics. I did admire film critics. I did admire people who got to interview celebrities and producers and writers. I think at a certain point... I'm, try- I'm just trying to remember because it's we're, we're talking like 15 or so years ago now. Mm-hmm. I think there, here's here's kind of how I started down this road. So I had written a few things here and there, published a few things here and there. I had lucked out a little bit by 2005 and and published a few things like essays and a couple of interviews in the metro section of the New York Times, uh, even while I was still working my IT job. But at a certain point. I think when when Deadspin first started, I knew Will Leach a little bit because I had written for a website he had put together with with a bunch of people that you probably are probably well known names in media now. But in two thousand five, they were all just young and raw. The site was called the Black Table, and everybody wrote for free. And but it was just like this collection of writers writing you know, that that if you looked at the names now, you'd be amazed, right? Mm-hmm. And I he was just starting up Deadspin at that. Point. 
<clears throat> I think that's been I've been going for a while. So I wrote to him and I said, "Is do you do you know that if like because Gawker you know had started up Deadspin, but do you know if Gawker or somebody else is is starting up a website about TV? Because I'm like, well, what do I do all the time? I watch TV, you know. Especially back then, I was single, no family. I, you know, in my mid thirties, I was watching TV a lot. So. So he said, no, but I know of someone who's working for a blog for this company called Web Blogs, Inc. Uh, and he pointed me to uh, a guy named Bob Sassoni, who uh, was editing at the time, that then could switch to being a writer. And then Bob connected me to this, this other person, Keith McDuffie, who was the editor of this site called TV Squad. And it was, it was one of the Web Blogs, Inc. blogs. And it, the, the ones that you're probably most familiar with now are Engadget, uh, Autoblog, some of those other ones. They were started as Web Blogs, Inc. And I came on there. I, I joined them in, I think, November of 2005, right after Web Blogs was acquired by AOL. I started writing for them part-time. I started blogging for them. I think my first blog post was about Arrested Development. You know, about uh, Jason Bateman getting sick and they had to close down the set of Arrested Development or something. That shows you how long ago it was. And at that point, I was still working as an I, in an IT uh, environment and Weblogs was paying like $5 a post or something like that, something ridiculously small, uh, maybe $10, but I don't even remember. Mm-hmm. But I eventually got the bug of, of writing about TV. I think I had written a couple of, as an audition, I wrote a couple of blog posts on my own. Uh, but I knew I could do it. I knew I would, could do well with it. I knew I could do the recaps that they were doing pretty well. So that's kind of where it started. And it just kind of, and it just steamrolled from there. By 2008, uh, I mean, I, like a year or two later, Keith made me the assistant editor. And then, and then the, when he left to create his own website, I became the editor. And that, so that happened within two and a half years of me starting just as a blogger on that site. So when you became editor, did you quit your IT job and that was a full-time job or were you still doing that part-time? No, uh, I had quit in 2006 because they were going to transfer me out of the job that I had. And I just, I, when my boss said, hey, we're going to, we're going to transfer you out to do something else. And I just looked at him, I go, I, and I started looking into this. And I said, well, why don't I take a leave of absence? I was working for IBM at the time. Mm-hmm. And they had a program where you could take a leave of absence. They won't pay you, but you'd still uh, get your benefits. You'd get your health insurance. So, and then you can option whether you can, you know, you want to go back or you want to, you want to leave. So that's what I did. I took a leave of absence. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that's when I started writing more full-time for TV Squad and other outlets. And that was 2006. May of 2006 is when I went full-time. I think by the next year, uh, my boss was... So I kind of planned. I said, saved up some cash. I cashed out a bunch of like stocks and things like that to have a, a, liquid, a liquid amount of money. And I just said, okay, I'm going to go for it. And the next year, he was looking to lay off people, and I was, and I didn't want to come back. So he was nice enough to lay me off, and I got severance, and I got, you know, got to keep my health insurance for a little while before I went to Cobra. That that really, all of that, and the savings I had helped me in that first two years of being a full time freelancer. You know, it, it was one of those situations where I went for it because I had planned it, I had researched it, and I had a cushion. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I burned through, unfortunately. But um, 
you know, so I, I took the leap in an informed way. So I'd already been freelancing for full-time for a couple of years by the time I became the editor at, at TV Squad. Now, looking back and knowing that people that listen to this are either want to be doing what you're doing or, you know, some version of full-time freelancing, looking back at that time in your life, you know, even like when you said, you know, you burn through money or something like that, do you, can you offer some tips on like, get when you first jumped in and took that plunge, what did you learn back then that you'd love to tell somebody now or tell yourself back then? When I took that plunge, I learned that uh, I think what I, I would really look back on is the fact that when I took that plunge, I had prepared financially, and that helped me, but I hadn't prepared uh, how to market myself. Correct. I was so thoroughly sick of doing tech work that I didn't market myself as a tech writer. I didn't want to do it anymore. I didn't want to do that work. Uh, I didn't think of how to supplement my income when the work I wanted to do wasn't there or wasn't paying enough, which is, you know, the entertainment work. That's the kind of stuff that I wish, that I started to learn to do later on, that I wish I knew from the outset. I think that's really smart because a lot of people don't realize when they say, hey, I want to be a full-time freelance writer, that they think, okay, well, I'm just going to go out there and the work's just going to be there and I don't have to really do much. And I try to explain to people, I think I'm marketing, especially early on in my career, marketing like 75% of the time and writing like 25% of the time because you're constantly looking for more work, you know? So I, I think that's a really good tip about, you know, once getting started now as an entertainment writer um what would you tell others that they need to have in terms of skills to become a really good entertainment writer it depends on what you want to do because the majority of the work i'm doing right now is criticism you know and for criticism you just need to to have a, a institutional knowledge of what you're criticizing so if you're watching watching a sitcom, you've got to have a knowledge of sitcoms that came before it, you know, and, and to know what the form is like and, and what what works and what doesn't. You know, you don't have to sit there and, and be an encyclopedic source of information in your review, but you have to know why Cheers is funny to know why Two Broke Girls wasn't fun, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but as far as the rest of it, you just have to have a nose for what people are going to want to read, uh, a way to talk about stuff you know, stuff and shows and actors that interest you in a way that will engage people. Uh, and then when you interview people, you have to, to talk to them uh, as if it was a conversation, as if you, you know their career and, and you have knowledge of what they've done in the past and ask them real questions with open-ended, an- with open-ended answers and you know, just to make sure that that you get more than just a rote response. Out. You know, follow-ups. If they say something that's interesting, you follow up on it instead of just moving on to the next question. That's how I... It's not something that I learned. It's just something that I kind of was curious about to begin with and just kind of... And just honed my skills over the years. With I know when I did interviews back in the early days, it was much more conversational much more loose, much more... I didn't get to the, the, the subjects I want. The interviews were longer. Uh, and the interviews I do now are shorter, uh, and they're still conversational, but they do get to the topics that I do want to cover. I just don't plan out... I just don't write the questions down ahead of time. I just 
kind of know where areas I want to cover, and hopefully I cover them in the time a lot. Allowing for follow-ups, allowing for things like that. First of all, I, I can talk to you for hours about what you do, and I know that you're super busy. But And before right. I, I, I let you go, um, just tell us what the hardest part about writing about entertainment is. I mean, you're dealing with celebrities. You're dealing with super tight deadline pieces. You have to write something and get, and get it up right away. What What's the hardest part for you about all of this? First of all, it's not hard. I mean, it's mm-hmm. hard as far as, like, you're meeting the deadlines and things like that, but there I, there was no way I would ever suggest that this job is, you know, akin to being a pressurized office environment or, or you know, construction site or, you know, digging, digging, digging ditches, that kind of thing. But I do think that there are times when, especially because it's TV, but if you're doing movies as well, it's, real, it's relentless. There's always a new, especially now, there's always a new show to write about. There's always a new project that somebody's promoting. There's a, a, you know, you get PR pitches for everything. And you're trying to sort out what you're interested in and what you're not interested in. And what you think you could write about and what you think you might not have a good idea of writing about. Like, I don't write about animations because I have no idea what the history of anime is. And I don't think I could be well informed writing about it. So I don't write about it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm not a huge fan of fantasy shows, like fantasy type shows, like, like like Game of Thrones, that kind of thing. So when I come across one, sometimes it's hard for me to formulate thoughts about about it because I don't really watch those shows or movies or things like that. But once, you know, say I have a week where I'm doing like 10 reviews, it you, you do the reviews, you sit down, you take a breath. You enjoy the time with your family, then you realize next week is ten more shows that you've got to review. That kind of thing. It's it's it just continues. Uh, there are things that I wrote ten years ago that if I find them online, I don't even remember writing. I don't even remember watching the show. I don't remember writing about the show. I don't remember it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's how relentless this industry can be. I, I definitely understand it. I've done that looking back in my career and, and going, I wrote that, you know, because you're you're doing so much that you don't think about what you've already done. You're actually working on the next piece as soon as you hit submit, you know. So right. it's like your brain's already moved forward and forgotten everything, everything you just did. Go Everybody ahead. thinks that when you're a writer, you, you sit there and, like, you admire your piece of art <laughs> that you just put on paper or the screen or whatever. When in most cases, especially if you're, especially if you're writing uh, for an online publication, uh, and it was true 15 years ago and it's true now, you just don't have time. Joel, you are incredible. I mean, the work that you do and and being able to do it and keep going in this quarantine life of ours, you know, and a lot of people still are struggling to get started as entertainment writers. And and I love the fact that you've made a very successful career out of this. So before I let you go, just tell everybody where they can find you and follow you. Most, you know, most of my work is at decider.com. Uh, I have freelance, you know, I do freelance for other publications, although not as much lately, uh, given the landscape. You can follow my, uh, my Instagram is at joel.keller. Uh, Twitter is at, at Joel Keller. Uh, so those are the two main places you can see me. And then decider.com. And then every once in a while, I'll show up at another publication. Like last, last year when I did my rollingstone.com oral history of office space. Mm-hmm. Which was a lot of fun. Um, but, you know, for now, it's decided.com, and then you never know where I might pop up in the future. 
Awesome. Joel, thank you so much for doing this interview today. I really appreciate it. Get back to your weekend and your family, and we'll talk soon, okay? Thanks, Lisa. Take care.